Well, I'm hoping uh, she made me cry enough that I don't do it in mine. Um, hi, my name's Mitch. I'm Emily's husband, and uh, it might come as a surprise, but our testimonies parallel each other pretty closely. Uh, I grew up with a silver spoon. I had a Christian family, and, and God used pain in a lot of ways to refine my faith. Uh, I didn't have a Damascus Road experience, and I didn't respond to God's call and leave the boat and follow him immediately. Um, my testimony, I guess, looks more like what happened in John 9 when the blind man receives his sight after Jesus, you know, rubs some mud into his hands and rubs it on his eyes, and the guy sees a little bit, and then he does it again. And I'm kind of in that iterative process of continuing to see more clearly as God works on me. I've been lucky, though, because God started working on me at birth. Uh, my mom and dad were Christians, and they were exceptional examples of God's faithfulness. I don't want you to picture the kind of romanticized Christian home that maybe comes to mind when we say I had a Christian family. Um, at our house, we didn't eat family dinner every night. We didn't have post-dinner or pre-bedtime devotionals. The TV was on all the time. And although I remember seeing my mom and dad's Bible sitting on the end tables, I don't actually recall them reading it. And I've never heard either of them pray out loud. But they did believe in Jesus Christ, that he had died and risen from the dead to forgive them for their sins. And they showed me their belief in the best way they knew how by just always showing up. I wish I could have seen it more clearly when I was a kid and they were both alive. Uh, but as an adult, I can appreciate what God gave me. Mom hasn't ever said very much, but uh, she's just always there. You know, she sits in the room with you, and there's something really comforting about someone that you can be in a room with for hours, and you just don't need any words, right? And that presence. Um, she's also, frankly, the personality type that if you were going through hell and she showed up, I'd feel sorry for hell. Uh, my dad, on the other hand, uh, he had more than enough words to make up for mom. Uh, the guy was pretty much omnipresent. You know, it didn't matter if he was invited. It didn't matter if you wanted him there or you didn't want him there. Uh, he was always there. And he was sometimes helpful, most of the time just present. Uh, we actually had a joke when I was a kid that, all, uh, anyway, we had a joke where Timmy, Timmy's dad could shoot a bow and arrow and run through a field and catch it before it hit the ground. Mike's dad could catch a bullet between his teeth, and my dad got off work at 5 but could still make a kickoff at 4.30. <laughs> and I, he actually got fired a few times because I don't think his work thought that was as funny as I did. Uh, but, you know, but that's just who he was, right? He always, he always showed up. And while I had the silver spoon, my, my extended family didn't have quite the same silver spoon I did. Uh, There's a decent amount of physical abuse, sexual abuse, abandonment, drug addiction. Um, yeah. And, uh, but the thing is, if you asked any of them, you know, who would be there for you, they would all tell you it was my dad. And growing up, I had the privilege of sitting from a safe distance and watching him live that way or hearing about the stories, because a lot of them happened before I was even born, right? But I would get that from a distance. And, and that's how my parents showed me their faith. They showed up and they reflected the nature of the God they believed in. Because, you know, we just celebrated this past week at Christmas 
that God humbled himself to take on our flesh and showed up for us despite our sin, our weakness, whether we wanted him or we didn't, God came and met us where we are so that he could save the relationship with us. My parents believed that, and my parents used that, or my parents lived that way, and God used that to reveal himself to me. But like I said at the beginning, I wasn't someone who saw the truth and immediately followed it. I was a little bit skeptical. I didn't really take ownership of my faith until my sophomore year of college. Uh, my senior year of high school, I had a friend die, and that bothered me. Uh, I experienced, you know, we had had death earlier, you know, with some of the other stuff that was going on in the extended family. But uh, there's something surreal when you finally see someone that looks like you and is dead, right? Like, it's easy to picture the old people, right, when they die, or anyone older than you. But when they're you, it's different. And the thing that really kind of shook me through that time was not Stevie dying, but it was seeing Stevie's dad when they had to finally close the casket for the final time and just the level of... Just the level of brokenness, you know, that, uh, that was there. And so, you know, for me, it was like, okay, we have a God that shows up, but where are you now, right? Where are you in these sorts of moments? I wanted my faith to be my own, but I wasn't totally sold that it was real. You know, it was kind of a I'm a believer, but stage of my life. And uh, I started to ask more questions that senior year of high school. And the response I would generally get would go something like this. Uh, why is this true? They'd reply, this is the truth because the Bible says so. To which I'd reply, what makes the Bible true? Someone would reply, because it's the word of God. I'd reply, how do I know it's the word of God? And then they would reply, because the Bible says so. That was not super satisfying for me. But the saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, we will, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. During this process, God gave me a teacher, Mr. Oakley, who had, a com who had this kind of circular conversation with me and another student one time. But rather than doubling down on the Bible says so, uh, he actually went and bought us a copy of C.S. Lewis' Cr Mere Christianity and asked us to read it. I read it and then I went off to college, still a believer but not fully satisfied with my faith. When I got to college, I thought, boy, this is hollow. I loved football, but football, education, and a good time, uh, they didn't do much for death, and they didn't do much for the sort of hurt that I saw my friend's dad experiencing. Uh, life felt pretty empty, uh, but God remained faithful to me. I would walk around campus a lot alone, and I would read about and ask different people about questions about faith. I actually got onto some wild rabbit trails of all sorts of stuff, like I read the Quran, uh, got into Wiccan for a little bit, uh, Buddhism, atheism, and of course Christianity, which I had never like abandoned. I just was a little bit faithless in how, uh, in how I approached it. Eventually, I got to the point I thought, if death was my only guarantee, I need to get this right. And so nothing had carried water for me like Christ had and the Bible had. 
and God had orchestrated the pieces together, so I transferred to Wheaton to study the Bible and theology. Unexpectedly, God confronted me in that choice because Wheaton's football team didn't have a spot for me, which was a surprise. Uh, I had to choose to transfer and study the Bible and theology or to play football, which at the time, although Emily and I were dating, football was probably the number one thing in my life. Uh, that's the moment that I actually took ownership of my faith. While God had been faithfully pursuing me the whole time, this point when I chose him over the idol I had put in my life is when I finally was seeing clearly enough to choose to pursue God for myself. At Wheaton is when the gospel message finally clicked for me. Uh, it, surprisingly at Wheaton, especially in the Bible department, students often lose their faith or it changes drastically. Uh, the teachers and church community there are faithful, uh, but, but they're definitely not safe. It's a very challenging environment, and, and I needed that because that was the part of my faith that, you know, was my hang-up, is that no one really challenged it. It was just generally accepted. But uh, there they did challenge it, and God used that. And in one class I had, we, we got to read Julian of Norwich, who was a mystic out of, like, the medieval times, which, crazy life if you want to read about it. But uh, as she was considering the truth of a hazelnut that she could see outside of basically her jail cell, uh, she wrote, in this little thing, I saw three properties. The first is that God made it. The second, that God loves it. And the third, that God keeps it. Something about the way she articulated that turned a light on for me, and it clicked. God made me, God sustains me, and God loves me. God made me out of nothing when he spoke the universe into existence, it was good, and I am wonderfully made in his image. God sustains me. Despite my sin that has stained his creation, he continues to patiently bear with me so that I won't perish, but that I might come to repentance. And God loves me so much that he has forgiven me, not in response to my effort to do good, but out of an abundance of his grace, Despite my failings, my shortcomings, even though uh, I can't satisfy the law that he gave us, he's come down from his throne to meet me in my brokenness and save me by giving up his son, Jesus Christ. To this day, I still tell our kids at bedtime, God made you, God sustains you, and God loves you. But I've had a little twist in that I add out on the end, I love you and I love your mom too. Um, you know, but, and so that was, like, that was the moment it clicked for me. And since then, God hasn't stopped. God's kept working on us. Probably the thing he's made the clearest to me over the last 10 years of marriage, other than that I married way up, is that not only has he made us, sustained us, and loved us enough to free us from sin, but he's also freed us to live. I had a football coach that used to tell us the story of Matthew 14 when Peter walked on the water. If you remember the story, Jesus is, you know, walking on water, and he calls out to Peter in the boat, and he says, come. And Peter gets out of the boat and walks on the water out to Jesus, but eventually Peter, you know, sees the storm and becomes afraid, and he sinks, and he cries out to God, and God says, God picks him up and saves him. My coach would always tell us this story, and then he would end it by telling us, if God calls you to come out of the boat, go. He's not calling you out to sink. He's calling you to walk on water. 
Now, I'm not sure Coach's sermon meshes well with expository preaching, but over the last 10 years, I've, I really have begun to resonate with the message. Uh, Emily and I have done some silly things. Uh, anyone who's close to us has asked the always encouraging, are you sure about that? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I usually was, but I'm not anymore. Um, and, and frankly, they've, they've often been right to ask. Uh, we've made a lot of bad decisions, but sometimes we've made good decisions that just had painful consequences. Uh, whether most of the decisions were good or bad, I, I don't actually know, but I do know that God showed up on the other side of all of them. And when we focus more on the storm than on him, it's been harder. Yet, he's remained faithful, and eventually, he puts us back on solid ground. So if you hear anything from my testimony, I hope you hear this. God made you, God sustains you, and God loves you. So live in the confidence of your salvation and bring as many people with you as you can. Thanks.